This is Polar Voices. I'm Kelsey Gabrowski. Jacqueline Overbeck manages the Coastal Hazards Program for the Alaska Division of Geological and Geophysical Surveys. Her group has found it's difficult to track Alaska coastlines over time because first measurements of shorelines were either never taken or hadn't yet been processed. These measurements are known as baseline data. A couple of reports uh, for Alaska in general that include both coastal and, and riverine communities, but that state that 184 out of 213 communities are affected by flooding and erosion. So there aren't necessarily measurements to the standard that we would like in those areas, but there is an understanding that these hazards are occurring in these communities. She says each community in those reports ranges from 200 to 600 people in size. Her program focuses on the coasts, which can face both erosion over time and rapid flood events known as storm surges. Storm surges form off the Bering Sea, and what those are is a a large pressure system uh, that causes fluctuations in water levels. And those fluctuations um, result in higher water levels at the shoreline. While South Central Alaska has great swings and tides, Overbeck says Western Alaska may have just a 40 centimeter range between high and low tide. And what's unique for Alaska is that these storms have been occurring through time. However, if there isn't sea ice in the ocean during the storm surge, uh, the storm can be enhanced. Sea ice dampens wave action in the ocean, and landfast ice protects the shore during strong winter storms. As there is less sea ice in the ocean, so is there also less of this protective barrier, even if storms stay the same. So storm surges generally follow a similar track due to climate patterns, but uh, Norton Sound in particular is subject to storm surge flooding because it's such a shallow embayment. So floodwaters are pushed into that bay and are enhanced because of that really shallow environment. Go to a map and draw a level line from Fairbanks, Alaska, west to the coast. You end up in a corner of coastline just between the Alaska Peninsula and the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. That's Norton Sound. It's home to communities such as Koyak, Shaktulik, Unalukleet, and St. Michael. It creates a need for understanding storms better, uh, making measurements before and after storms to quantify how much change is occurring Some of these changes are almost instantaneous due to extreme events. Not all coastal concerns are caused by climate change, but rising sea levels and stronger storm surges only add to the cumulative erosion from natural disasters. For example, the southern coasts of Alaska are particularly susceptible to tsunamis, triggered by earthquakes. Here, the Pacific Plate is gradually moving northwards, slipping past the west coast of Canada but getting jammed under the southern coast of Alaska. So tsunamis and earthquakes are, while not synonymous, closely related. I I describe tsunamis as being our biggest earthquake hazard. That was Michael West, director of the Alaska Earthquake Center and Alaska state seismologist. So tsunamis are caused when an earthquake actually displaces the seafloor. If you take the seafloor and all of a sudden lift it up or sink it down, you're going to create a wave. And when you do that, 
over a vast area, an earthquake that's tens or hundreds of miles long, then you're moving an incredible amount of water. And those waves, the, uh, when they reach shore, are you know, what we refer to as a tsunami. And these tsunamis have the ability to move huge amounts of sediment, rapidly changing the shape of the coast. But change can also be a gradual process. The beach as a system is very dynamic, and it can change from season to season, from year to year, depending on what kind of wave environment is impacting that beach. So in general, when you have higher waves in the wintertime, your beach volume is smaller than in the summertime where you have calm waves and that sediment's being transported on shore. She says coastal erosion can happen when that balance goes into the red, when the open water season lengthens and has more time to carve sediment from the beach. Overbeck and colleagues bring scientific resources back to communities, translating elevation maps and forecasts into landmarks that storm surges may reach. They also map how much and how quickly shorelines have changed over time, using satellite imagery as well as aerial photos from before there were satellites. These tools come in handy in places that are already facing the impacts of climate change. And any time we go, we talk to anyone who's walking down the beach and and explain what we're doing there. And there are always stories that these people have. Many of these stories have been about sea ice and the later formation of sea ice or the earlier breakup of sea ice. There are times when a single bad storm can make it seem like the problem is worse than it is. So Overbeck and her team step in to monitor whether a shoreline is forecast to erode away. Sometimes events can happen where you have a large amount of erosion, but that environment is in long-term stability or long-term accretion, where sediment is actually being, is actually contributing to growth of the beach. Barrett Ristroff is the Pacific Policy Director of Pacific Environment and says in the future she would like to work more on flooding and erosion issues. Probably Kivalina and Shishmirov are so tired of being the poster children of climate change and having articles written about them in The Guardian or somewhere else about their situation and then no one coming up with money or actually helping them move. Kivalina and Shishmirov are Alaska villages on sand spits surrounded by the Chukchi Sea. Rapid warming in the Arctic is causing permafrost to thaw in some areas, making the coasts around these villages more susceptible to erosion caused by storms, tides, and waves. Reduce the amount of time the sea stays frozen each year, and add in rising sea levels, and these settlements are expected to be erased within the next decade. Some buildings in these communities are slipping into the sea, others are being dragged back away from the beach. Although some people are trying to relocate, the reality of packing up a whole village is proving difficult. Relocation is hot to talk about, but then there's communities who want to stay in place, and there's plenty of flooding and issues going on in interior Alaska. Probably no one's heard that two interior Alaska communities already did relocate. It doesn't get very much publicity. And How do they manage to do it, and can other people learn from it? Those communities are Eagle Village and Alatna which moved with FEMA Hazardous Mitigation Program funds in 2009 and 1994, respectively. The first step when working with communities will be acknowledging just how big Alaska is. The state is dynamic both geologically and culturally, with 20 federally recognized indigenous languages. So we do geohazard mapping, or we have done geohazard mapping every summer for, I was participated for three years in a row, so we visited about nine 
10 communities on the West Coast. Um, each of these communities is so different. Not only the people and the infrastructure that's there, but the coastal environment is very different. So you can't ask the same questions of each coastal environment. You have to take your baseline data and then develop your questions. But from a geophysical and cultural standpoint, that doesn't necessarily mean the work is overwhelming. Ristroff just cautions to start small. It's critical to, to get to know people and their issues. Me personally, I feel like if an organization wants to make a difference, well, find a community, find a small thing, and go there and make a difference. You don't have to have some big save the world agenda because you're not going to save the world. So you can find a niche issue and, and, and go with it and help a community, then you've already done something. To hear more from Alaska erosion experts, or to listen to more episodes of this program, visit the Polar Voices page at thepolarhub.org. Polar Voices is produced by the UA Museum of the North in collaboration with the Arctic Institute of North America as part of the Polar Learning and Responding Climate Change Education Partnership.